0: Hello, and welcome to the Odessa First Assembly Podcast. My name is Tony, and I'm the Digital Ministry Manager here at OFA. Today we have a message for you from our sermon series titled, The Spirit-Filled Life. Throughout this series, we'll be exploring the Holy Spirit and what it means to be filled with His power in our lives. Our lead pastor, Todd Starnes, will be sharing powerful insights into this important topic. We'll also hear from myself and Derek Thurlby on different aspects of the Spirit-Filled Life. So without further ado, let's jump right in today's message from The Spirit-Filled Life.
1: Or South America or North America or Australia, Lord, every continent on this planet, God, needs to hear the gospel. So we just thank you, Father, for being with those teams, Lord. Just empowering them, Father, to, to keep enduring, Lord, despite sickness, despite um obstacles and uh, people coming against them, Father, Lord, that you would surely empower them, Lord, to preach the gospel, Lord, to to make long-term relationships, God, to make connections, Lord. That's not just a one-time event, but Lord, it's an ongoing relationship, Lord, that you're doing in their hearts. And Lord, touch these these teenagers' lives, Lord, that went with them, Father, Lord, that they just have a seed planted inside of them to be hungry for ministry, to be hungry to share the gospel, Lord, and to obey what you've told us to do, Father, in the Great Commission, Lord. This church exists, Lord, to glorify your purposes, God, and to send out people. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So we've been um, talking about the Spirit-filled life, as the series has been, and uh, I wanted to continue that and talk about the specific subject of being spirit-led. Uh, Brother Tony last week uh, shared about the importance of surrender, and we just sang a song about surrender. So this morning, I want to explore what it means to be spirit-led. It's easy to become distracted, right? It's easy to become led by the many influences that are around us. To be The, the enemy is not necessarily trying to get us to do a 180 and go opposite of what God has called us to do, he just wants to divert us just enough to not be effective. And that's what happens many times in our lives is that we get distracted on little side things that allow us to not be as effective as the Lord, not not to have that 30, 60, and 100-fold fruit that God wants to put in our lives. He wants to use you. Do you know that? He wants to use you, you, right there. He wants to touch your life and he wants to touch other people's lives through you. So I want to talk about the Spirit-filled life. If we're filled with the Spirit, right? If you're a believer, you are filled with the Spirit. You've yielded to the Spirit of God, and His Spirit can flow out of you. But if you're filled with the Spirit, should you not be led by the Spirit? Right? It's not just enough to say, oh, I got the presence of God in my life, but I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. You know what? The Bible tells us what we're supposed to be doing, and that's what I'm going to be talking about today. So if we're filled with the Spirit, we should be led by the Spirit. As disciples of Jesus, we're not the ones in control. When you said yes to Jesus, you said yes to his leadership, right? You didn't just say, yes, I want to be saved. You said, yes. I'm going to follow you. In fact, most of the time when people said, when Jesus came to them, he said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And then what did he say? Follow me. He says, just, just accept my gift and don't worry about anything else. It's Everything else is okay. No, he said, follow me. Leave whatever you have to follow me. We're not the ones in control. God has allowed us to participate in the manifesting of the kingdom of God on earth. You are part of his kingdom, right? Say with me, I'm part of the kingdom. That means you got a purpose. You're a soldier in his army because we're in a battle. God is the king of that kingdom. This church is not the kingdom of that kingdom. Somebody you listen to on a podcast is not the king of that kingdom. God is the king of that kingdom. And he sent his son to lead us. His spirit empowers us. He didn't leave us alone. He sent the Holy Spirit, right? Because otherwise, nothing's going to (laughs) happen. Anything that we do, any plan that we come up with, is going to be ineffective if the Holy Spirit is not empowering us. Have any of you ever watched... And you may like different types of music, but I'm going to use jazz as an example, because I think it's the best example for this. <laughs> Have any of you ever watched an accomplished jazz band flow together like they were reading each other's minds? You ever seen them? Are they just really flowing? That didn't just happen, you know. They didn't just come out off the street, you know, never picked up a saxophone or a bass guitar or a, a trap set and just start playing like that. It took a little bit of practice. Most of them spent many years practicing runs and scales and learning all the theory and playing the simple songs until they mastered every aspect of that instrument, every aspect of music theory. Only then can they improvise, <laughs> right? It looks like they're just going random, right? They just oh, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. And that flows out of all those hundreds of hours of practice, you know. They learn the simple songs until they mastered their instruments. And only then can they improvise. Only then can they do a solo, right? And when they do doing that solo, does everybody else just stop? They just keep playing along. They don't know what they're going to play, but they kind of do, <laughs> right? Because they have that common understanding. And the others still play in the background, and they never even miss a beat, Right? If you've never watched a really good jazz band, you really should, because this, this is, you'll get the example I'm talking about here. They have a common understanding that allows them to flow together. Let me say that one more time. They have a common understanding of the music that allows them to flow together. And this is important. They have a common unity in their training. Amen? Common unity. We have a common unity as well, and it's called the gospel right? We have that common unity. We have a common training. We have a common Lord that we're following. You know what that means? We can flow together and that we have a purpose and there's something we're supposed to be doing together. We want the freedom of flowing with the Spirit and we want to walk hand in hand, right? You want to walk hand in hand with others. You don't want to be opposed to them. You don't want to be at each other's throats, right? You want to be flowing with each other. But you know what? That doesn't just come naturally. That comes through our obedience to the gospel. We have that hand in hand, but that comes with discipline of years spent following the basic commands of Christ. Those basics build the pattern that allows us to flow in the specific gifts and callings that God has placed with us and play a spiritual harmony. When the band started playing this morning, they also had a practice and they've had many practices together, right? And they also practice the harmony. They just, it's not random, you know, and it takes us flowing together because we're dedicated to the same cause. We're part of the same family. It also allows us to flow together with each other because we are in Christ together following the directives of the gospel. Did you know that there are directives, that there are commands in the gospel? And they're not optional. Optional. They're part of who we are. If you're a disciple, you're following the discipler. The gospel is our foundation for unity and being spirit-led. See, being spirit-led is not just God just trying to give you a plan for your life. Being spirit-led is based upon obedience to the gospel. Do you get what I'm saying here? That there is something that we really are supposed to be doing as believers. So what do we mean when we say the basic commands of the gospel? What does the gospel mean? In its most simplest form, it means good news, a good proclamation. It's a good plan that we have to follow. We only have to look at the life of Jesus and see what he did, taught, emphasized. Almost every scripture I'm going to be telling you today is just out of the gospels. I'm not even talking about the rest of the New Testament or the Old Testament and the revelations that are shown to us there. I'm just talking about the simple things that Jesus said and did in the gospel if we start there. Um, reading and studying for yourself, the Bible does say if you, uh, that we should be good uh, in, in 2 Timothy 2.15, that we should be workmen that need not to be shamed, Right? So we should be reading and studying for ourselves. And you say, well, I'm the kind of person, I just can't read, I get tired, I get sleepy when I read. Okay, then listen to audiobooks. Let's we'll say, well, if I'm listening to audio audiobook in a chair, I fall asleep. Well, get up and walk around and listen to audio Do something to read and study for yourself because all this I'm saying is not gonna make a lot of difference if you just forget about it and don't read and study on your own. I'm only gonna be talking about a few areas of the gospel, a few things that Jesus said and did. But there's a whole Bible to study. There's a whole Bible to listen to. And there's so many good materials. You have more materials available to you than any person had throughout history. You know the disciples did not have the New Testament? They just had the experience of Jesus and they had the Old Testament, the Tanakh, to look at to get these truths out of. And yet they were able to follow them. I hope this spurns you. The sampling I'm gonna take today, I hope it spurns you to show yourself a workman that needs not to be ashamed. The gospel, the good news, is not just John 3.16, but the entirety of Jesus' life, what he did and taught. Let me say that one more time. The gospel, the good news, is not just John 3.16. That's a very important verse. That's the beginning of where we start. But the entirety of Jesus' life, what he did and what he taught. Does that change your perspective a little bit? It's everything... Who he was. We're going to look at our first scripture here, Mark four, ten and thirteen. Mark chapter four, verses ten and thirteen. It says, As soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking him about the parables. On down to verse thirteen. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all parables? Jesus had just told the crowd the parable of the sower and his disciples were questioning him on what he meant. Jesus was saying that understanding this parable was a foundation for understanding them all. The principle of sowing and reaping, this is the parable of the sower we're talking about, you know, sowing on the different types of ground and bearing fruit. Some ground is hard, you know, some, some have the thorns. That's what, this is the parable I'm referring to. The principle of sowing and reaping is a spiritual principle that is always true. You cannot get around sowing and reaping. If you sow things, you're going to reap things. Right? If we walk in the disciplines of the gospel, which is our sowing, okay, this is our sowing into our spiritual life, is the disciplines of the gospel I'm going to be talking about, then we will understand the voice of the Spirit giving direction to our life. That's our reaping. So many times we want God just to show us something for us, but he's trying to show us something for the world in the gospel. The spirit-led life means obeying the directives of the gospel as taught and lived by our Savior Jesus. Now, are some of you getting just a little bit nervous? (laughs) Are you starting to feel a little bit of tension inside of you? Because that's the Holy Spirit speaking to us. Because we have ignored many of these directives. We really have. I've done it in my own life at different times. I've I've had doubts. I've had things. I've gone through the struggles, right? But these directives are here because God really wants us to change the world. He's not... He didn't just just send Jesus to give you a better life, a more comfortable life, right? He gave you Jesus to change you into Christ-likeness. The spirit-led life means obeying the directives of the gospel as taught and live by our Savior, Jesus. So what are some of those directives? Like I said, I'm just gonna take a sampling, but I see, But as I do this, you're gonna really see the pattern here of what God wants. The first one is repentance. Repentance, Matthew 4, 17 uh, and Mark 1, 15. Matthew four seventeen says, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And in Mark one fifteen, adds, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel, right? Believe in the gospel, believe in the good news. What is that good news? So this is the first requirement of following Jesus. Because he loved us first, repentance is even possible. I used to have a professor who used to always say, forgiveness logically precedes repentance. He said the forgiveness has to be available before you can repent and receive it, Right? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The forgiveness is already available there, but the repentance is to receive that, to turn away from your old life toward the new life in Christ Jesus. This is the first requirement of following Christ. It is simply turning from sin toward God. John 16, 8 says, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Hebrews 12, 6 says that those whom he lo- the Lord loves, he disciplines it's a good thing. Disciples are disciplined, right? He disciplines those whom he loves. What does this mean? When God brings conviction into your life, it is an expression and the proof of his love. It's not a reason to feel bad about yourself. It's a reason to know that God cares. Because if you don't care about your child, you don't ever correct them. <laughs> you just let them do whatever. and They won't live past the age of two probably. <laughs> As soon as they're mobile, they're probably going to die without your intervention. Is that not true? (laughs) Right? We correct them. They don't like being pulled away. They want to resist. They want to cry about it. But yet you got to do it to keep them alive (laughs) because you love them. When God brings conviction in your life, it's his expression and proof of his love. He convicts and disciplines those whom he loves. Repentance is the daily attitude of turning away from sinful behaviors and toward a disciplined life because of his love for us and others. It's a daily attitude. Repentance is not once a week after the sermon. Repentance is every single morning. I say, Lord, help me to turn away from those things that distract me from you, God. Help me to turn away and to follow. What are you showing me today? Who can I be a blessing to today, God? Even when I go to work, work is not a separate part of my life. When I'm at work, the other employees around me and the customers, I think, how can I bless them? I'm not saying I always have that attitude, okay? I get frustrated. (laughs) I get bad customer calls like, oh man, I just do not want to deal with this, but Lord, help me too. It's that process is the beginning of living in the kingdom of God. When others see our response to conviction, see how you respond to conviction encourages others, right? When others see our response to conviction to change our life, that encourages them to desire the same change and have faith that God loves them also. When they see you respond to conviction, that encourages them. You're not just convicted for yourself, it's for the sake of others as well. That is the first directive, without which, that was the first thing that Jesus said, right? The first part of his mission. If you don't have that in line, nothing else is gonna change in your life. If you're resisting his conviction, nothing's going to change. In fact, it's going to get worse. <laughs> the more you resist it, the worse its things are going to be for you. So it's the first directive. Nothing changes without repentance. And if we are the same person we were a year ago, we've been resisting God's conviction. If you're the same person you were a year ago, you have been resisting. Because I have been a believer A confessing believer, since I'm five years old when I made that confession, I am 49. And I can tell you, I'm not the same person I was a year ago. I'm not. I can see that things in my life, sometimes I go backwards, sometimes I go forwards, right? But I can see that the Lord does not let me off. He doesn't say, when you were a Christian for 30 years, you've got it figured out, I'm gonna stop speaking to you. No, he keeps speaking to me, he keeps convicting me, and I need to keep responding to that conviction until Jesus comes, (laughs) right? When do I stop? You don't stop until Jesus comes. We don't want to resist the conviction of the Lord. The second directive is forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness and reconciliation, Matthew six fourteen. For if I forgive others, for if you, sorry, if, you're, if you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Matthew five twenty three through 24 says, therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there, here remember that your brother has something against you. Not that you have something against him, right? That your brother has something against you. Leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Now he's talking about the literal offering going to the temple. He says if you're on your way to the temple and you remember that there's a, something between you and your brother that he has against you, you should at least seek to reconcile that, re, that relationship. Then you can come and present your offering. These two passages reveal one of the biggest blocks to being led by the Spirit. The biggest blocks. When we have unforgiveness in our heart toward another or they have enmity against us, we should be the one to seek reconciliation. Right? To bring God's peace into that relationship. Listen to this. Forgiving is being ready to give love toward another. That's why I separated it out like that. Forgiving... Forgiving, that means you're giving in advance, is being ready to give love toward another even before they want to be loved. See, forgiveness is an attitude you have before they sin. It's an attitude you have before that uh, you are offended because you will be offended, right? To reach out to restore relationship in a spirit of humility because God's love is greater than our differences. God's love is greater than your differences. It's greater than your conflict. The greatest conflict that has ever existed was between God and man. That conflict was healed through God's love in Christ Jesus. It's greater than our conflict. It doesn't mean you have to trust them completely, and all consequences are being removed. It doesn't mean that that you you have to just give them your total trust, okay? I'm not saying that, It means that you're willing to be a facilitator in the restoration process and there must be fruit, right? You got to see fruit in their lives. If somebody, if I had an employee still $10,000, that doesn't mean, I forget about it, you know, don't worry about it. No, I I don't trust them with the bank bag anymore. (laughs) They got to have some fruit to show me that things have changed. But it means I'm willing to reach out, you know, to do what it needs to be done. I want to tell you a story and I'm not mentioning this person's name, you know, uh, I'm just going to call him Z. And when I lived in Samoa, I was probably about 16, 17 at the time. And this person, Z, after uh, a hurricane that happened there, their family was partially staying in the bottom part of our house because their house got blown away. And uh, Z had a lot of uh, issues, but I kind of became a discipler to him and became his friend. And I uh he, he just had all these problems uh, in his life, and I won't go into all the details, but we became pretty good friends, and so much that we would do things together. I was just reading the Bible. We were studying the Bible together, but he, with these issues he had in his life, he decided to, to betray me and my family, and he stole from us, and he lied to us, and he did some things that I'm not even gonna mention that had to do with some family members, and it was a really difficult thing. And I've always grown up a pretty non-violent type of person. He was the only person I wanted to kill. <laughs> I did. I thought about it. He's by the ocean. I can go push him in the blowhole. We'll never see him again, you know. <laughs> and he threatened my life as well. It, was, it wasn't just a mute, one thing. Because we, I, I'm the one who caught him in his, in his lies and stuff. And I, I found out what he was doing and there was a big reconciliation. And I, well, there wasn't a reconciliation yet, but there was a big confrontation and all that. And I, I said, Lord, and then one day I was praying. He said, the Lord said, you have to forgive him. He says, I have forgiven you so much more. I've forgiven you so much more. And I was like, am I really that bad? I mean, what he's done is pretty bad, Lord. <laughs> I mean, it's probably worthy of death. <laughs> But the Lord just kept speaking to me, and I was like, you know, I'm going to set. I mean, I was to the point, I was actually carrying a knife on me to, you know, nothing wrong with carrying a knife, but for the purpose of it, something happened. And it was a big deal. And, and the Lord just said, you need to offer. And you know what ended up happening? He had to go away, and then one day he calls us. He had overdosed. My dad and I end up getting him and taking him to the hospital, having his stomach pumped. And... All these things different happened, and then the Lord started working on him again. And he started yelling, and we ended up going to DTS together, Discipleship Training School, which my, my daughter just went to. And I spent you know, six months with this guy away from everybody else. And on that DTS, he had several fallbacks because of all his issues. But he eventually came out of the program serving God. <laughs> you know, and I... I just remember it was such a hard thing. If I would ever write a chapter, uh, a bio autobiography, I'd have a chapter named after this person <laughs> because of all the things that I went through. But I learned about forgiveness with Z. <laughs> I really learned about forgiveness because it's one thing to say, oh yeah, I'm gonna forgive somebody, but it's another thing to say when they've done such really, really evil things to you that you actually do it. And I don't feel any resentment at all. God actually took it out of my heart But it was a period, it was a process of months for that to happen. And so forgiveness and reconciliation is so important. God took it all away as I realized my own sinfulness toward others. Unforgiveness will also block healing and blessing in your life. Because you cannot receive from God when you're holding on to sin. You cannot. That is a form of pride. When you hold on to sin, you're saying, God... My resentment, my holding on to this is more important than my relationship with you. That's, what, that's what's happening with pride and unforgiveness. It's just a form of pride. But God gives grace to the humble, but who does he oppose? The proud. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So the first one was repentance, the second one was forgiveness and reconciliation. The third directive is servant leadership. And these are not really in any important order. It's just that I just want you to, to, to see what Jesus was speaking to us. Servant leadership in Mark 9.35. It says, Sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and a servant of all. And again in Matthew ten twenty. Uh, I'm sorry, Matthew 20, 25 through 26. Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great man exercised authority over them. It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to be great among you shall be what? Your servants. Not just leadership, servant leadership. Jesus washed the disciples' feet to demonstrate this as well. This principle does not just apply to the church, but how we relate to our families and even the workplace. If you are the head in your particular department, it doesn't mean that you're the boss in a way that means you're just trying to control people, you know, to every little aspect. You're going to lead by example as well. You can apply that to your work, you can apply that to your employment, you can apply that to your family if you're the head of your household, it means that you still serve. Even if it's your own children, even if it's your spouse, you're still gonna do things. Maybe you, know, maybe you took out the trash and washed the dishes and they're just not up to it and you sweep the floor as well. That's okay. You keep serving even when uh, it, it is not uh, comfortable to do so. Even when you think they should be doing it. The way Jesus lived applies to every facet of our lives. Each truth of the gospel strikes at the heart of self-accomplishment and human pride. Each of these truths, being a servant to all, includes our enemies who Jesus said to love. If you see an activist out there, and they're in the hot sun, and they stand for something that you don't agree with, it doesn't mean you shouldn't give them some water, right? Right? If you see people, you know, that come against you, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't try to bless them. God will use that. The next one is enduring prayer. Luke 18, verse 1. It's one of my favorite parables that Jesus tells because it's just so real about our situation. He was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. In Luke eleven nine, it says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. The more we understand prayer, the more we realize that the very source of our strength flows from spending time talking to God and listening for his voice. I can tell you in many years of experience that when I'm really, really struggling with things and I feel very discouraged I can almost always correlate that to my prayer life becoming weaker. (laughs) I could say, Lord, am I really spending time? Am I really listening? Not just talking, but listening to you. Am I really spending time in prayer? Prayer needs to become like eating or even breathing. When Paul says to pray at all times, he's talking about having an attitude ready to pray any moment. It's an attitude we have of listening and yielding to the Lord. God becomes the focus of our attention and we are always aware that he is with us. And when you know that he is with you, you can speak to him anytime. Amen? He's always with you. You can pray anytime because he's with you all the time. And we need not to give up in prayer. We don't lose heart when the answer doesn't come immediately, but we patiently wait for God to speak in his time. Even Jesus went to the Father three times in the same night with the same request before he went to the cross. We can endure in prayer. There's so many other areas of life that we don't give up on. I've seen a lot of young people or old people or what all ages playing video games, and they almost never give up when they don't get through the level the first time. <laughs> never, right? In fact, most games, it takes about five to 10 seconds before you die, <laughs> Before, you know, at the beginning of the game, like, okay, I didn't go very well. I didn't go very well, you know. They spend hundreds of hours playing these games and they don't give up. <laughs> and when we don't get our prayer requests the first time, we're like, oh, I guess it doesn't work, right? Because it's not just about the request, it's about changing you, it's about changing your attitude and, and God ministering to you. So we need to endure in prayer. So repent, forgive, and be reconciled. Servant leadership, enduring in prayer. Seek the lost. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Listen to this. If we ever begin to doubt that we have a purpose, we can always remember that there are many lost to be found. We're like, I don't know my purpose in life. Until you get it figured out, seek the lost. (laughs) Right? That is actually part of your purpose. (laughs) If you're at work or it's in your family, I know that you know lost people if it's your neighbors, whoever it is around you. There's people in this town that come from all, this is an international city. Midland, Odessa, the Permian Basin, international region. I have people that come in the store. I work in every day from all over the world. Many of them are lost. There's whole groups. You know, it's okay to join a group just for the purpose of ministering to them. <laughs> they need your influence in those groups. Now, is the Lions Club or the Frisbee Throwers Anonymous. I don't know. Whatever you want to get a part of. I guess you're not anonymous if you're throwing frisbees. <laughs> but we can be a part of things. Seek the lost. You know, if you're going to seek the lost and you don't know one lost person, join something where you can find some lost people, <laughs> right? And be a part of that. We tend to think of the purpose of our life as our vocation. But the fact is, your vocation is not who you are. You're a disciple of Jesus. Your vocation just empowers that. It's just a support for that. It's a way of expressing that. But even that should be subject to the great commission, the great calling to declare the gospel and make disciples. Even in the midst of our busy lives, we are looking for the lost around us. We need to seek the lost. Another one is giving. You know, I've talked to so many people who one of their biggest pet peeves or obstacles to be in, in any church or any Christian group is this whole idea of giving, of giving a percentage of your income. And, and I guarantee you, if you're listening to the Lord to tell you to give, it's gonna always end up being more than 10%. <laughs> He'll start telling you to give the things. You're like, well, what about this? I mean, it just, it will, okay? But you know what? You're gonna look forward to it after a while. It won't be just something you have to do. It's something you want to do because you realize you're investing in the kingdom of heaven. It's not just you know a church, but it's everything around you. Jesus said in Matthew 6:20, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in or steal. And Luke 6:38 says, give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Do you want to receive blessings or giving blessings? And it's not just about receiving those blessings. You'll start wanting to receive blessings so that you can give more blessings. <laughs> it's the whole attitude of why you're doing what you're doing. The heart of the gospel is what? God giving himself through the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave. Every gift is an act of representation of what it actually means to be a Christian. To be a giving person, not a selfish person to be a giving person. And I was talking to one of the guys that worked the other day. I said, in reality, and this kind of threw him for a loop, uh, he's a new Christian, new disciple. And I said, look, the only thing you take to heaven is your relationships. He goes, what? (laughs) I said, the only thing that goes with you into eternity is the relationships you build that are based upon Jesus. That's it. Everything else disappears. Everything else will be uh, transformed. It won't be the thing that's eternal. That is what it's eternal. So the heart of the gospel is God giving himself through the gift of his son, Jesus. Our heart should be to have a generous life that touches all we have and who we are. There's nothing off limits. There's nothing off limits. I watched my dad, even as a pastor and a missionary kid growing up, give away cars, give away houses, give away his own groceries. Many times, even when we didn't have very much, okay? He was a giver. We give of our time and our resources. So, the other part of it, as being a part of believers, is that we don't just give money to a church or a a Christian group or whatever we're a part of and say, that's all I owe. Because it's not about owing, it's about the opportunity of giving more. (laughs) It's about the opportunity of being involved. Because there are gifts inside of you that are a blessing to this church, and they're hidden. Many of them are hidden. We give of our time and our resources, knowing that God supplied it all. And he multiplies even the most meager gifts of loaves and fishes to bless thousands. Right? Little little thing in Jesus' hands becomes much. When Jesus breaks it and you give it to him and he breaks it, it multiplies. Right? So whatever is inside of you is worthy to be multiplied. <laughs> that God has put there. Giving. The next one is walk in the light. There's only 52 more, so I just, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> I only got a few more. But I wanted to get these out to give you an idea of what I'm talking about, what it means that there are directives in the gospel. And all of these, you can spend your whole life just doing any of them, right? Walk in the light, Matthew five sixteen. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Luke eleven thirty four. 34, the eye is a lamp of your body. When your eye is clear, your whole body also is full of light. But when it is bad, your whole body is full of darkness. Whatever you set your mind's eye on fills your field of vision and reflects into your heart. All right? We cannot be a light to the world if we gaze on the darkness. And that's something that's very easy to do. Every piece of entertainment every things that happened in the government, things happening around the world, if we start focusing and gazing on the darkness, we're not gonna reflect the light. We're gonna be filled with that. Jesus said, be careful that the light in you is not darkness. You think you have light and it could be darkness. Let the Holy Spirit show you what you need to spend your time reading and doing and participating in because it's very easy for that to be darkness. And it's a waste of your life to gaze on the darkness (laughs) when you have Jesus to look upon. Walking in the Spirit is walking in the light because our attention is upon Him. Another one is keeping your promises. Keeping our promises. Matthew 5, 37. But let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond this, these is of evil. If you've ever watched the infomercial, if you've ever watched, they, they do a lot of promising. <laughs> and when somebody has to make too much swearing and I promise you and it's the best ever, it's probably a lie. <laughs> There's probably a lie somewhere in there, right? We want to let our yes be yes and our no be no and not have to back it up with anything else. No pinky swearing, nothing like that. (laughs) Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. We speak simply and truthfully, not embellishing or subtracting our words to influence people. Because that's really what you're doing when you keep adding stuff to it, is you're just trying to influence somebody for your own use. There's never a need to bend the truth or make promises we can't keep. If you make a promise, keep it. There was a whole man's movement called promise keepers. <laughs> if you make a promise, keep it. Speak honestly. Now, I'm going to throw in one here that, you're, you're, that a lot of people aren't going to like, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> Good citizens. <laughs> what did Jesus say Matthew twenty two seventeen 17 through 21? Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to give a poll tax to Caesar or not? And they said to him, This belonged to Caesars in verse 21. Then he said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesars and to God the things that are God's. This is one that we don't like to hear. We avoid paying taxes because we question how it will be used. We're like, they're just gonna use the money wrong anyway, right? But Christians should be the best citizens. Not meaning that we go along with laws that oppose the gospel, okay? I'm not saying you to obey the law, disobey the law. I mean, to obey it if it's against the gospel but that we honor those in authority even when we disagree with their ways. Did Jesus agree with everything that Caesar did? Obviously not. <laughs> he was not a good man in many, many ways. Jesus obviously did not support everything Caesar did or that even the temple, his own temple did. He didn't agree. That's why he went over there and overturned. There's times to take action, I understand. But he paid taxes to both of them. Pay taxes to Caesar and he paid taxes to the temple even though he was the son of God. This doesn't just apply to money, but it's our time. If you get called up for jury duty, serve. (laughs) All right? It might be an opportunity to witness to a lot of lost people in that jury. (laughs) It might be an opportunity to show God's kingdom and righteousness in your actions and in your judgments. Do it. Volunteer. Vote join local boards of schools, be a part of things. You know what? We have examples in the Bible of this. I'm just going to mention two names, Daniel and Joseph. Both of them were in politics. (laughs) Both of them were in the government and they even worked for the government, but we remember to give God what belongs to him. Give Caesar what belongs to Caesar, give God what belongs to God. So a Christian follower should be a good citizen, all right? Should be one who follows. This next one is very important and dear to my wife and I. It's prioritized children. (laughs) Luke 18, 16. Jesus called them together saying, Permit the children to come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. The kingdom of God belongs to those kids back in children's church right now. The kingdom of God belongs to the youth. The kingdom of God belongs to the kids Riding their bicycle, well, they don't do much bike riding nowadays, or <laughs> making noise, playing hoops in the middle of the street at 10 o'clock at night, or whatever. It belongs to them. God wants to touch them. It's natural for most parents to look out for their children, right? But do we care about the children of others? God has given them the kingdom, and they are the future leaders of this church. The one ministry most churches have the most difficult time feeling, even more than the sound booth. <laughs> It's children's ministry, <laughs> right? There, there, there wasn't sound booths back in Jesus' day, but, <laughs> right? but a lot of people didn't want to hang out with the kids, but you know what? They need your love. They need your experience, and prioritize children's ministry is important. In 30 years, this is the next leaders, right, of this, of this church, of this ministry, of every ministry. Notice that any one of these directives can be a focus for a lifetime, like I said. There are actually many more commands of Jesus in the Gospels, many more things he talked about, not even counting the rest of the New Testament and the Old Testament as well. But listen to this. So many times we want a specific leading of the Spirit for our lives, but God is often just asking us to start where we're at and follow the foundational truths that Jesus emphasized. We're like, God, I just want you to show me specifically what I'm... I don't want to start until you show me specifically. You know what? Just do the general things. (laughs) And that's what I'm really trying to get at today is there's so much here. I'm just taking a sampling that you could be following and doing, even where you're at. Be faithful where you're at. Be faithful with little. Then he'll show you other things. You know, if you can't take out the trash, he's not going to ask you to do an orphanage in Romania. He's just not. (laughs) If you can't do the basic things that life requires. So many times we want that, but we just need to start where we're at. Any one of these things. I want to share a little story of you of, of an example that God used in my life through this. I was trying to figure out where I was going to go finish my, my college and in, uh, in my bachelor's degree. And I had these three different colleges kind of narrowed down, but I didn't know which one to go to as I was living in Washington State at the time. And I was like, Lord, I'm gonna, I had to make a decision by like the next day. Like it was like the final weekend. I had to have a decision by like Monday. And I was like, Lord, I have to know that these semesters are gonna start. I gotta figure out which one you want me to go to. And I was just completely focused on this. And the Lord said, okay, lock yourself in the room. And I did, man, I locked myself in this room. I'm not getting out of here. I put all the brochures out in front of me. He's like, Lord, you're gonna show me where to go. I didn't know. And the Lord said, as soon as I was like started to pray for it, the Lord said, don't pray for that at all. And he started giving me all these people I knew who had issues in their lives and different situations. So he says, you intercede for these people and start praying for them. So I did. And I was in that room, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, about 45 minutes in, and I, I kind of came to a pause in my prayer. Just the Lord just started pouring out on me. I just really felt it come upon me to, to pray for these people and their situations. And just right at the end of that, I was just sitting there kind of in silence and the Lord said, Dominion College. Just like right out of the blue. That was one of the three. And I was like, what do you mean? I said, like, well, I need to pray about it some more. I need to like, mm, travel in the spirit to really know that this is, no, that's the one. I was like, well, Lord, I haven't asked yet. I mean, I was getting to that part. <laughs> Like somebody giving the trivia answer before you have a chance to even answer the question. You know? like <laughs> and so, but the Lord showed me something. He said, you know, a lot of times we focus on ourselves so much that we won't look at the needs of those around us. And we won't look at the directives that he's showing us. So when I wasn't focused on my own needs at all, he showed me what I was supposed to do. And what these things do is get you to fo- stop focusing on yourself whether it's children's ministry or forgiving or being focused on walking in the light or uh, repentance or whatever God is showing you in your life at that moment, he will show you the specific things if you follow the general ones. So many times our desire to be spirit-filled and spirit-led is really a manifestation of wanting our own desires to be met. Our own spiritual, mental, physical needs to be taken care of. The fact is, is that Jesus knows what you need. He knows, and you don't have to worry about Him meeting those needs. Even when it seems like it's not happening, He'll take care of you. Philippians two twenty through twenty one. This is really a powerful verse that I really want you to listen to. For I have no one else of kindred spirit. This is Paul speaking about uh, people in the ministry. I have no one else of kindred spirit who will generally be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek out their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. What I've been talking to you about is the interest of Christ Jesus. Those are his interests. Those are his heart. This is really what I've been sharing about today. Listen, are you really being spirit-led or are you leading the spirit? Are we really being spirit-led or are we leading the spirit? Are we just praying long enough to try to convince God to do what we want? Because he's God. He's the one that is talking to us, you know. Right? All of these are just examples of interests of Christ Jesus. What is he passionate for? He gave us the great commission to go out into the world and make disciples of all the nations. If I could have our musicians just to come up right now as I as I end this, I really there's gonna be a song they're gonna play, and I really want you to listen to the words of this song. But all of these, like I said, are just examples of Jesus, the interest of Christ Jesus. He has given you the great commission. The great commission is not just for missionaries, right? It's not just, it's for every believer. He didn't say, you know, go out into all the world and only was speaking to specific, the 12 apostles. He was speaking to everybody, to every single one of this. And we are to make disciples of all nations not just specific, like here and there, he said all nations, all peoples. The word that's used there is the word for, we use for ethnicities. All the ethne of the world, all the ethnic groups. That is why we are a missionary supporting and sending church. What's the purpose of your life? You ever ask yourself that question? <laughs> Especially on a, on a tough day? <clears throat> in general, it's to glorify God and fulfill the great commission in all you do. Maybe that's as a doctor. Maybe that's as a teacher, a police officer, a truck driver, a pipe fitter, or a dog walker. I don't care what it is. But their main calling is to glorify God by doing these things, by being a part of his purposes. Our calling is to be like Christ, and our vocation supports that calling. It's so easy to identify ourselves with being a baseball player or a mechanic or a physician, any of those things. And I have our identity wrapped up in those things. But those are just vocations that submit themselves to the calling of being a disciple, of being a follower of Christ Jesus. you get what I'm saying here? All those things are submitted unto him and they need to support that. And I want to say this one more time. My final point, to be spirit-led is to obey the commands and example of Jesus. God will be faithful to fill in the details as we step out of faith and obey the gospel. Amen? I'll say it one more time. To be spirit-led is to obey the commands and example of Jesus. God will be faithful to fill in the details as we step out in faith and obey the gospel. Do you want to step out? Do you want to step out? Stand with me today if you can. I want to leave this just with one more scripture, John 14, 15. Jesus said, if you love me, you will what? Keep my commandments. These are his commandments. It's just a, actually a, some of them. And you have to study the word for yourself to know the complete fullness of the gospel in your life.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the Odessa First Assembly podcast. If you've enjoyed today's message, be sure to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. You can also follow us on social media for updates and inspirational content throughout the week. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at Odessa First AG. And if you're in the area, we'd love to have you join us in person for our Sunday morning services at 10.30am. You can also catch our live stream on Facebook, YouTube, and Church Online. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time on the Odessa First Assembly Podcast.